This message was preached on April 18th, 2021 at Faith Reformed Baptist Church in Titusville, Florida. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come before your holy presence and we thank you, Lord, for bringing us here this morning. And now we ask for your Holy Spirit to Enlighten our hearts and give us understanding of your word as we continue studying the doctrine of repentance. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So this morning, God willing, we are going to finish the uh, chapter uh, 15 in the Confession of Faith about repentance. And uh, the question that we have for this morning is, should I continue to repent after having been forgiven, should I continue to repent after having been forgiven? And the answer, of course, is yes. That's the short answer. That's the clear teaching of the scriptures, but why? Uh, and this is not the first time that we asked the same question. We had a similar question in chapter uh, chapter about justification, I think it was chapter 11, that if we have been forgiven of all our sins, past, present, and future, why then should we come to God and repent and ask to be forgiven? So that's, uh, that's an extreme that people always go to extremes. That's one extreme that we want to avoid. The idea that, well, because we have been forgiven, then we don't have to repent, we don't have to ask forgiveness on a daily basis. Some people even go uh, one step beyond saying, well, I think it is a, a lack of faith to do that. You don't believe that your uh, forgiveness is real. You don't believe that what Jesus did for you is real. Well, it's not lack of faith to do that. But at the same time, it is a legitimate question. Why should we have to do that? Should we or should we just simply thank God for our forgiveness that what was granted to us when we were justified instead of asking for forgiveness, instead of repenting every time that we sin? Well, the answer to that is no. The uh, scriptures teach that repentance is a continual thing, a continual thing, even for Christians, there is a commandment to repent, and we find in the uh, book of Revelation, in those letters that the Lord Jesus uh, addresses to the seven churches in Revelation, we find the uh, church, uh, letters sent to the church at Ephesus, uh, it says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent. See? Even to a church. And do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and I will remove your candlestick out of this place, except you repent. In Matthew 18, verse uh, 15, the Lord Jesus says, Moreover, if your brother shall trespass against you, if your brother sins against you, you. He says, go and tell him his fault, his sin, between you and him alone. alone. 
If he shall hear you, you have gained your brother. Now, what does hear you mean here in this context? Well, it's not simply the act of, you know, sound waves coming into the ear. It's more than that. It's not like, hey, you have to remove your earbuds, you know, and speak into you. No, to hear here means to, yes, it's true, I sinned against you and, and I repent. That's the idea. So, it is a biblical teaching that we have to repent. Then, of course... Um, the uh, Roman Catholic uh, theology that teaches that uh, nobody can say in this life that you have been justified and that you have assurance of salvation. And they say, well, the fact that the Bible teaches that repentance is as a continual thing teaches you that it is impossible for anyone to say, I am saved and I am sure of my salvation and all that. That's the teaching of the, the Roman Catholic Church, that while it is true that remission of sins is obtained by God's mercy and grace through faith, however, nobody can say all, that all his sins have been forgiven and have a confidence of that forgiveness. And they say, well, the proof of that is that uh, the Bible commands you to repent, constantly repent of sins. So again, this is not a new subject. We studied this back in the uh, chapter 11. Yes, chapter 11, where it says in uh, paragraph 5 in chapter 11, God does continue to forgive the sins of those that are justified. And although they can never fall from the state of justification, yet they may, by their sins, fall under God's fatherly displeasure. And in that condition, they have not usually the light of His countenance restored unto them, until they humble themselves, confess their sins, beg pardon, and renew their faith and repentance. So that's what we studied back then when we were going through chapter 11. So the notion of repentance as a, as a unique experience that happens once in, in your life, at the beginning of the Christian life, that's not a real, that's not a true uh, Christian doctrine. The Bible teaches continual repentance. So in our paragraph this morning, we are trying to cover paragraphs 4 and 5. In chapter 15, paragraph 4 says, As repentance is to be continued through the whole course of our lives upon the account of the body of death and the motions thereof, so it is every man's duty to repent of his particular nonsense particularly. So repentance then then should be seen as a path or, or a progression that starts with conversion, continues throughout your life. The heirs of eternal salvation are now not those who repented once, but those who continue to repent all the time, similar to faith. Faith has to continue. It is not enough to believe once and then stop believing. As a matter of fact, previous chapter about saving faith, we saw that. The differences between uh, true saving faith and non-saving faith, a false faith that doesn't save, we said, well, the false faith is what is temporary. It's temporary. It ends. 
It's just an emotion. It's not based on regeneration. It, it is not based on the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. And the Lord Jesus describes that in the, the parable where he says, you know, the seed that falls into in the stony ground and it starts to grow and the tree start, starts to, to grow, it springs, and, but then it dies. That is the, uh, the man who has that faith. He starts with a, a lot of uh, energy. He receives the word with joy. That's what the Lord Jesus says. But then he stops. And repentance is the same. A Christian who does not continue to repent, what has happened to that Christian? That Christian has become indifferent with sin. When he sins, that doesn't grieve his heart anymore. You see, the promise of the, the new covenant is what? I will take that heart of stone and put a heart of flesh, right? And the idea is before, you, you were insensitive. You, you could sin and that was not... That, that's, that was nothing for you in your life, but now I'm going to the new covenant uh, regeneration changes that. A heart of stone is insensitive. In a Christian who does not repent when he sins, he's acting as if he had a heart of stone. It has become a callous and indifferent. It's like when you start, um, when you play a string instrument like a guitar, you know, when you start, you know, at the beginning, it hurts, you know, the, the strings on your, on the tip of your fingers, but then what, they become desensitized, and you don't feel that anymore, it's not painful anymore, well, that happens, if that, when that happens to a Christian, that's a, a really bad thing, when you become indifferent, and hardened, you feel that you don't have to repent anymore, that's a, a terrible thing for that to happen. So continual repentance then is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is making us, giving us that awareness of the gravity of our sin and the, uh, the depravation of our nature. And that's what the confession says, that repentance is to be continued through the whole life through the whole course of our lives. Why? They say, upon the account of the body of death, we still have a body of death. We still sin. We still have a, a depraved, corrupt nature that will try to drag us into sin. And when we don't fall in sin, we have still we have those thoughts, sinful thoughts, and we have to repent of all those things. You know, there are Christians who doubt their salvation when they sin because they they feel bad and they say how oh, how could I have done that how could I have even thought about something like that I wonder if I am a real Christian well the reason why you feel bad is because the Holy Spirit has given you that sensitivity to sin you didn't have that before the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verses 23 to 24, But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And then he says, O wretched man, man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? That's not something that the unregenerate can say. They don't feel like that about their sins. Unbelievers are indifferent, even proud of their sins, of their, of their transgressions. 
But a person who repents and confesses his sins understands that the problem is not only his evil actions, his evil thoughts, but he has a heart problem, heart problem, a corrupt and depraved nature. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he spoke about the heart, do you know what he said? He didn't say, you have to follow your heart. He would not fit in Hollywood. He said, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. All those things come from the heart. They didn't have very good things to say about the heart, the human heart. Bad fruit comes from a bad tree. That's what he said. But the work of regeneration, the regeneration, what does it do? It opens our eyes. Give us understanding. For the first time we see ourselves as the worst of sinners. That's something that continues. It has to continue. In the past, when we were not believers, we always compared ourselves with whom? With people that we thought were worse. You know, I know that I am not perfect, but I am not like, you know, somebody who I think is worse than me. <clears throat> now, we think we are the worst. At least, that was the, Apostles Paul, the Apostle Paul's experience. In First uh, Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world, to save sinners of whom I am chief, he said. I am the worst. I am the vilest. I am the chief of sinners. So we have to be in a constant state of repentance. And continual repentance starts with continual confession. We have to confess our sins. We find that in the, in the Psalms. For example, in Psalm 51, verses 4 to 7, David says there, Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you might be justified when you speak and be clear when you judge. Behold, I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you shall make me to know wisdom." Perch me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Those are the words of somebody whose heart has been transformed, whose heart has been renewed by the Holy Spirit. Again, the unregenerate don't say things like that. They try to justify their sin. It is always somebody else's fault. You know, my wife and I will always watch uh, Judge Judy and it's funny how people, they always, it's somebody else's fault. You know, and you see two people and they, there, they go to court. Sometimes it's for, for a few dollars. It's their pride, you know, and it's always accusing each other. Nobody ever says, yes, it is my fault. It's my childhood, it's my circumstances, it is somebody else's fault. The Apostle John says in his first letter, Chapter 1, verses 9 to 10. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. 
in the Lord's Prayer. The Lord Jesus teaches us to say, forgive us our debts. It is a prayer that must be done in repentance. You cannot say, "For Father, forgive me my sins and my transgressions unless you are repenting from your sins and your transgressions. In James chapter 5, verse 16, it says there, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. You have to confess your faults one to another. Also, a repentant person will not only confess his transgression, but will try to mortify that residual sin in his life. Mortification of sin. Galatians uh, chapter 5, verse 24, it says there, And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with their affections and lusts. If you belong to Christ, you have crucified the flesh, or you are in the process of crucifying the flesh, the affections of the flesh. You're trying to put those things under control. In Hebrews, the corruption of the flesh is seen seen as a big burden. You know how the uh, author of Hebrews compares the uh, Christian life to a race. And he says, how do you run that race? Well, you have to get rid of every weight, every burden, and that burden is sin. He says, therefore, seeing that we are compassed about with so so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Chapter 12, verse 1. So it is a spiritual battle, a spiritual battle. Whenever we see sin in our lives, we have to try to crush it. It's like as soon as it rears its ugly head, crush it. If you get up in the middle of the night and you're thirsty and you didn't have water, you know, next to your bed, and you go to the kitchen and there's a little fire in your kitchen, what do you do? Do you wait for it to become large? No, you put it out. You grab a fire extinguisher or something and put it out. Something caught on fire, you don't, you know, you don't wait. Well, same happens with sin. You have to put it out. As soon as you see it, it is a spiritual battle against our own sin, our, our own corruption. It is not a battle against others. It is not a battle, a battle against our circumstances. It is the flesh that is at war against the spirit. In Galatians 5 verse 7 it says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. The Bible also uh, also speaks about the uh, spiritual battle against the, the forces of darkness. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We should even pray for God to give us wisdom to be able to see those sins that we don't see, that are invisible to us. Everybody else sees them, but we don't see them. Many times we are blind. 
In Psalm 19, verses 12 to 14, it says there, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me, cleanse you me from secret faults, from, from those secret sins that I don't see in my life. Keep back your servants, servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Now somebody may ask, well, isn't that uh, going to lead me to despair? Living like that, my whole life like that, in that battle against the flesh, in that battle against sin, won't that lead me, lead me to despair? Because I am never going to be able to, to conquer. I'm never going to be able to to really control my flesh. Well, repentance should never lead to despair, but to assurance of salvation. To assurance of salvation. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, that godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. <clears throat> That's... Uh, the ESV translation. Therefore, then, repent, turn to God, and He will receive you. He will receive you. In Isaiah 55, 7, He says, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and that He might have compassion on him, and to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. Go to God in repentance. He will receive you. And that's the reason why the confession ends this chapter with a, with a positive note of assurance of forgiveness. That's uh, paragraph 5 and last paragraph in chapter 15. It says there, Such is the provision of the co which God has made through Christ in the covenant of grace for the preservation of believers unto salvation, that although there is no sin so small, that it, but it deserves damnation, yet there is no sin so great, that it shall bring damnation on them that repent, which makes the constant preaching of repentance necessary. What a blessing. The preaching of repentance to Christians Far from bringing people to despair, it leads them to find refuge in Jesus, the only one who can forgive them. And God will forgive. He has promised to forgive. So the grace of God will save us from two big errors. Two big errors. Number one is minimizing your sin. Never minimize your sin. Notice the first thing that the authors of the confession say. Such is the provision which God has made through Christ in the covenant of grace for the, for the preservation of believers unto, salva uh, unto salvation. And then they say, there is no sin so small, but it deserves damnation. Do not minimize your sin. There is no sin so small, but it deserves damnation. Uh, a sin that people 
tend to trivialize and make small are their lies, you know, and they have a system to catalog their lies, small lies and white lies, and this and that. Well, the Bible says liars will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. There is no division there. No colors, no categories. It says all liars will be out. Do not minimize your sin. Then error number two is to think that we have sinned beyond forgiveness. So that's why they say, Yet there is no sin so great that it shall bring damnation on them that repent. You cannot sin beyond the scope of God's grace. You cannot sin and put yourself in a position where God will not forgive you if you repent. Not trying to encourage anyone to sin. That's his promise. Romans 5:20, it says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And then, but then he says, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So grace is not a license to sin. The fact that there is no sin so great that God cannot forgive is not a license. It is not an encouragement to sin. Now, the teaching of the world is that we should get rid of guilt and low self-esteem. That's the teaching of the world. And by modern standards... In psychology, the Apostle Paul had low self-esteem by modern standards. He said, I know that in me, that's in my flesh, dwells no good thing. Well, low self-esteem. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9, he says, For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet, even I am not worthy to be even called an apostle. Low self-esteem, according to psychologists. Then he says in 1 Timothy chapter Chapter 1, verses 12 to 16, he says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer, and a persecutor, and injurious. But I obtained mercy, because I did it ignorantly, in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. However, for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show, might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. So those are the words of a man who really understood his condition before God, but also who understood the meaning of grace and forgiveness. So we started the Christian life with repentance and grace, and we will continue and we will uh, finish with repentance and grace. It has to continue. As we said at the beginning, continual repentance is not a sign of lack of faith, lack of confidence in the work of 
the Lord Jesus Christ, but a proof that we are truly regenerate. Initial uh, repentance is confirmed by continual repentance. Amen? Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come before you, Lord, and we thank you for your grace, and thank you for uh, forgiving us, and uh, we pray that you grant us, Lord, that we may be able to see our transgressions and to have humble hearts to repent, to mortify the flesh, so that we may become every day more like our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray these things. Amen. And we're going to have an hour break.